Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 16. We're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. We see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we're at a turning point in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We've been saying that we're getting right to that point in time, and, from, and really very soon, very soon after this, he's going to say, I'm going to Jerusalem, be handed over, killed, raised, uh, be raised from the dead three days later. That's what he's going to do. So he's beginning to change, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, he's running into opposition. The closer he gets to the cross, the more the opposition is. This morning, we're going to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to Jesus seeking a sign. And most of you have heard of the Pharisees and the Sadducees all of your life. You've heard it from the Bible. Who are they? Well, who are these people? I mean, we call them religious leaders. What, what were they doing? But they come to him, and they ask for a, and I'm going to uh, remind you of something when we get into the passage, but they come and they say, we want a sign from heaven from you. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. What does he say to them? What does he do? And, and then as we get to the very end of the passage, we're going to see uh, Peter's confession. And it's one of the famous passages in the Bible. And it's a great truth. And we'll see that as we go through it. So some great things there. Here's a question I want us to think about as we begin. Who is Jesus Christ? Think about that. Who is Jesus Christ? That's probably the key question that every person is going to have to deal with. If someone asked you, what do you think about Jesus? Who is he? What would you say? There are a lot of people confused. I mean, I've heard people say, well, Jesus, Jesus was a really good man. He was a really good man. Or Jesus was a great teacher. Or Jesus is our example. And these are true that he is that, but he's much more than that. In fact, Jesus Christ is God. If you look at John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 in there, it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to this earth. We think about it, Jesus Christ is God. He is the one who left the glories of heaven and became a human being. He came to the earth to save mankind. He became a human being to take our place, to be a substitute, to pay for our sins. He died in our place and rose again and offers the gift of eternal life. Jesus Christ is the God-man, and he is the Savior of the world. In fact, there is no other Savior. There's no other way for a person to have eternal life. There's no other way for any person to have a life after this. In other words, an eternity with God. The only way is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So that's, that's the bottom line. That's who Jesus Christ is. Well, this morning, uh, Jesus raises the question. In fact, he actually says, who do, who do, who do the people think that I am? And, and they get a, he gets a bunch of answers. And then he says, who do you think I am? And, of course, they've been with him. Uh, it's nearing now three years. Uh, his ministry most likely was between three and three and a half years, so they don't have a whole lot longer to go. They've been with him from the beginning. Some of them saw his original thing where he changed the water to wine at a, at a wedding. I mean, they've seen him do all kind of things. And, and so they've been with him, and he says, so who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? Now, I believe they've already trusted him. I think they've trusted him. They believe he's the Messiah and the Savior, but there's all kind of controversy. And so he says... Who do you think I am? And we see from this passage what Peter says, and of course he's speaking for the group. Well, as we get closer and closer to the end, the, the conflict is going to be there. And this morning we're going to see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we'll talk more about them in just a minute. And he warns them about their false teaching. Let me just say something, and I mean it in a nice way, but there's a lot of bad teaching out there. There's a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot of things that people teach that aren't biblical at all. There's a lot of things that people teach that they've, they've, they've taught something they've heard all their life, but when you actually look at the Bible and what it says, they come to realize that that's not what it says. 
And so we just have to be really careful when we listen or read. And, and that's one reason we teach the Bible, so that you can know it. So that when you hear something or you see something or you read something, you can say, I don't think that's right. That's not right. You have to be ready to give an answer. You have to understand. This morning we're going to divide the passage this way. The religious leaders confront Jesus and they come to him. And then he warns his men, the, the disciples, about the false teaching, the religious leaders. And then at the very end, Peter's statement about Christ. We'll go through some of this fairly quickly. But let me remind you what's happened. Jesus Christ, the, the Gospel of Matthew, is showing Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and the King of the world. And the book begins with, of course, with John the Baptist as the voice crying in the wilderness, make the way. Jesus Christ comes and says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's offered himself as the king. He does the miracles, both the, the, the lame can walk, blind can see, lepers are cleansed, deaf can hear, and even the good news message is proclaimed. That's exactly what the Messiah was supposed to do from Isaiah 61, Isaiah 25. Jesus is doing everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. You would think that religious leaders, the people who knew the Bible, the people who were, they would look at this and they'd say, good gracious, he matches everything perfectly. You'd think that, but see, they're not interested in that because they have positions of responsibility. Romans are allowing them to have positions of responsibility. Talk about the Jewish leaders. They don't want anybody to upset the apple cart. They don't want anything to mess anything up. They don't want to lose their positions. Just Jesus is causing all kind of problems because people are following him. People are saying things. There's up kind of uproars. And they say, if this guy keeps doing what he's doing, they're going to eventually, we're going to lose our positions. We need to get rid of him somehow. That's their plan. They're not interested in him as the Messiah and the Savior. So this morning, uh, they come, and they come asking Jesus for another sign. And I'm going to show you the difference here in just a minute as we go through it. So let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Look at verse 1. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Well, there are two groups that have come to see him this morning. They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when you hear about them, everybody says Pharisee. And every time you say the word Pharisee, you think, oh, that's really negative. Yeah, Pharisees are bad. You hear Sadducees. And, and I used to say the Sadducees were sad, you see. But anyway, the bottom line is, who are they? What did they do? And, and so let me tell you, there were five major groups at the time of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about this. There was a group called the Pharisees. There was a group called the Sadducees. There were a group called the scribes. Sometimes they were called the scholars. Sometimes they were called doctors. I'll tell you what in a minute. Then there was a group called the Herodians, and then there were the, the Zealots. So let's talk about them for a second. Who are these Pharisees? The word Pharisee means to separate. When the nation of Israel was taken off into captivity, and they were in captivity for 70 years, and the reason they went into captivity is they didn't obey the Bible. And God put them off into captivity. When they came back, a group of people, a group of men said, we're going to be godly men. We're going to live by the Bible. We're going to do what's right. We're going to obey the word. And they separated themselves out and they called themselves Pharisees. Now, Pharisees started good because they'd say, okay, we're going to live by the Bible. What happened, though, is they began to look at things and they began to make up their own rules. And, and, and Paul, 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 the apostle, was a Pharisee. He actually thought trying to keep the law would save you. That's what they thought. And they emphasized what they called oral traditions, which was called the Mishnah. And, and, and they really got after Jesus because Jesus would say, you say this, but I say this. And what Jesus said was the Bible, and what they said was something else. And so they didn't like him at all. And so that's, that's the Pharisees. There's another group called the Sadducees. 
and they were wealthy. The, by the way, the, the Pharisees were not necessarily wealthy people. The Sadducees were almost always wealthy, and many of the priests were Sadducees, and they, uh, they uh, did a lot of different things. Now, they believed differently than the Pharisees. They denied oral tradition, but they also denied much of the Bible, and they rejected anything supernatural. They did not believe that there were angels, they did not believe there would be resurrection of the dead. This was the Sadducees. You understand that most of the priests at the time of Jesus did not believe in resurrection. They didn't believe that they thought when you die, you die. These were the priests of Israel, and they were part of the Sadducee group. And uh, about the only thing that could ever bring these two together, and they're together here because they didn't like each other, was their hatred for Jesus. And let me just show you this, that the common people looked more to the Pharisees and the wealthy people look more to the Sadducees. And, and so during the ministry of Christ, he opposed them both, and they hated him, and they hated each other, but they became friends just to get Jesus. The third group was the group called the scribes, and they were actually record keepers. Scribes began by being record keepers and also by writing down the Scripture. They became known as the scholars because as they copied the Bible over and over and over again, they knew the Bible. So if you had a Bible question, you wouldn't necessarily go to the Pharisee or a Sadducee, because Sadducee didn't even believe the Bible, you would go to a, to a scribe, and you could ask them a Bible question, and they might could look it up for you. They were sometimes called the doctors, and not doctors like a medical doctor, but the doctors, because they were highly respected. There was another group called the Herodians, and if you know who they are, Herod the Great was the man that killed all the boy babies when Jesus was born. After he died, all the land that he ruled was divided among all of his sons, and so they were like Herod Philip, Herod Antipas, those kind of names. And so the Herod family of the Herodians were people that wanted to keep the Herod family in power. That's what they wanted because they felt like Herod had done some good things. That Herod had helped build the, helped, helped repair the temple and he had built some other things. And so they liked him in that sense. Now he was actually, King Herod, the, the big man Herod was an evil man, killed all kind of people, killed his sons. His sons were very weak compared to him. And we see them in the Bible a little bit. We've already seen them in our study so far. The last group was a group called the Zealots. And they, they were famous for obeying the law and the word of God and the nation. These were Jewish people. This was a Jewish sect made up of not religious people, but they said, we believe that anything connected with Rome, anything connected with that's not exactly right from the Bible, we hate them. And so they, they, were, they would, like a guy by the name of Judas of Galilee, actually got a whole group together and tried to overthrow the Roman government, and he was killed. And, and uh, so they hated the Romans, and they hated anybody that worked with the Romans. If you were Jewish and you were a tax collector like Levi Matthew, if you were a, a zealot, you hated him. Even though he was a Jew and you were a Jew, you, said, you would say to him, you're helping the Romans and we hate you. They had little swords that were called sacri, and they were about this long, and they would tape them inside, like they had the, like a thing coming down, and they would tape a sword, like right there. And they would get into crowds of Romans, Jews they didn't like, and they would take that sword out, and they'd step up behind somebody, stab them, and they'd slip away. They'd kill people. That's what they did. Now, you may not realize this, but when Jesus picked the 12, one of them was Matthew Levi, who was a what? What was he? Tax collector. Another one was a man by the name of Simon the Zealot. So Jesus brought two guys in his group that normally would hate each other, and yet Jesus brought them together. 
And uh, when you think about Jesus, he, he didn't fit any of these groups. That's one of the reasons they hated him. The Pharisees, if you remember when Paul later on got into trouble and the Pharisees were on one side and the Sadducees were on the other and they wanted to kill Paul. And then Paul said, oh, by the way, I'm a Pharisee. And then all the Pharisees said, he's on our side. You know, but Jesus wasn't on anybody's side. He, he just went strictly by the word of God. Now watch what they said. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now if you remember back in Matthew chapter 12, they already asked him for a sign. But they asked it differently then. They said, we want to see a sign from you. And he had already done all the signs. This time they said, we want a sign from heaven. They didn't want him to heal somebody, because they dismissed that. They said, if you're really the Messiah, call down fire. If you're really the Messiah, make the sun stand still. If you're really the Messiah, give us manna from heaven. That's what they, they were asking for, some kind of sign. And, and of course, Jesus wasn't going to do that. Thing. Wasn't going to do it. In fact, the whole reason for the signs was that people would see who he is and then believe in him. Now, we're going to show you something in a minute. Signs don't make you believe. Signs point out, and then it's up to you to believe, and we'll see it in just a minute. And so they asked for a sign. He replied to them. He said, wait a minute. When it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky's red, and in the morning, there'll be a storm today for the sky's red and threatening. Do you know how to, uh, to discern the appearance of the sky? You do, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. Here's what he says this. He says, you guys, you can look around, and you can tell whether it's going to rain or not, because you can look at the sky, but you can't tell what's going on. Because if you go back, if these people who knew the Bible, if they really checked it out, they would find out that Jesus was born from the, from the descendant of David in Bethlehem, and he was born, I mean, he, everything fit perfectly, and yet they were blind to it. They rejected it, because they didn't want to see it. They didn't want to see it. He says, you can judge the appearance of the sky, but you can't judge the signs of the times. And there's so many people today, you, we talk about Jesus, we talk about salvation, we talk about things, and so many people just miss it. They could talk about the culture, but they don't. I've had people say, oh, I want to talk about politics, but don't, don't talk about religion to me. I don't want to talk about anything about God or Jesus. They reject it all. So what does Jesus say to them? He says, you, you can figure out the sky, but you can't figure out what's going on now. And then in verse 4, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And the sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Now, he's already given them the sign of Jonah. Do you remember the sign of Jonah? It's back in chapter 12. In fact, in chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, the sign of Jonah is that he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so what? So must the Son of Man be where? In the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus says, the sign that I've already given you is my death and resurrection. I'm going to die and rise again. That's going to be the sign. And that's what he says to them. The sign Jesus gives is his resurrection. He will die and come back three days later. He already told it to them. And by the way, notice in this passage, the best we can tell, unless Matthew left something out, he says no sign will be given to him except the sign of Jonah, and he leaves. He doesn't tell them what it is. He already told them what it was back in chapter 12. And by the way, in the original language, when it says he left them, it doesn't mean that he just walked away, it means he departed from them. It's like he's saying, I'm not dealing with you anymore. And he walked away from them. So it's pretty powerful. And so the great sign is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, when we always talk about the gospel of John, we say that John showed seven signs that Jesus did, and he did. But we always leave out the eighth one. 
The last sign is his resurrection from the dead, John chapter 20. And so that's what happened. He gives them a sign. And by, by the way, I want you to understand this. Signs don't make anyone believe. They don't. Um, signs do not cause people to believe. They may point out to the Messiah, they may point out truth, but they don't make you believe. If you remember the story in Luke chapter 16 where the rich man and Lazarus die and they go to the heart of the earth and the rich man is burning up on the one part and Lazarus is in a good part and he hollers over and he says, send Lazarus back so that he can tell my brothers, I've got four brothers, they need to know about hell, they need to know about all this bad stuff, send them back. And Abraham says he can't go. And they said, yeah, but if, if, if somebody would rise from the dead and go back, they would believe. And Abraham says, even if somebody rises from the dead, if they don't believe the Bible, they will not believe a sign. And the truth is this. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the what? The Word of God. The Word of God is the key, not signs, not miracles. Has Jesus done miracles and signs in front of the scribes and the Pharisees? Answer is what? Yes. Have they believed? No, in fact, the Pharisees, every time he does a miracle, they say, it's from the devil. And the Sadducees say, we don't think there's such things as miracles anyway. We don't even know how it's happening, but it's not real. Because they didn't believe that. So he leaves. And look what it says. Go on to, uh, verse 4, it says, and he left, and went, it left them and went away. And that word is a very strong word. It's not like I just walked away from them. It means he departed from them. He sent them away, so to speak. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, and they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Now, look, here's what we're going to see. They have been at Magdala. This is where they've been. And they get in the boat. The best that we can tell, they're going to go over toward Bethsaida. So they're going to go across the sea like there and stop right there. This is where they are. As they're going across the Sea of Galilee... It's, Jesus says to them, notice it says, And the disciples came to the other side of the sea. They had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now he tells them to watch out for the leaven. The leaven in the Bible almost always is negative. There's, Jesus used it in the Sermon on the Mount and it was positive. But most of the time when you hear the word leaven, it means something like evil. And so he says, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the, or the, or the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's talking about their teaching because they taught the wrong things. The disciples don't get it. They begin to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring, he said that because we didn't bring any bread. Oh, no, we forgot to bring bread. He's saying, watch out for the bread of the Pharisees, and we didn't even bring any bread. Who knows, we may get over there, and there may be Pharisees. What are we going to do? And watch what he does. He said to them, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? You know, we often forget what Jesus does, and what he's done for us. I mean, I forget it all the time. I go, oh, I hope I can make it. How many times has I not made it? How many times has God left me? Never. God is always with me. He's always taken care of me in my life, and the same for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? And yet sometimes we get up and go, I don't know if we can make it. Of course you can make it. He's with you. And sometimes we forget all that he does for us. Well, they've forgotten. They're worried about bread. Now, can Jesus get any kind of bread anytime he wants it? And look what he reminds them of. He says, why are you, uh, verse 8 again, Jesus aware of this, said, you men of little faith, why do you discuss this among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000? 
and how many baskets full you picked up, or the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets you picked up. If you remember when he fed the 5,000 men, that wasn't counting the women and children. They're probably close to 20,000 people. He had five loaves, and they had 12 baskets left over. When he fed the, the 4,000 men, not counting women and children, women and children, it could have been 15,000 people there, he had seven loaves, and they had seven baskets left over. So he said to them, what are y'all worried about bread? I mean, we can, get, we can get all the bread we want. We can get so much bread, we got to put it in baskets. So let's don't worry about bread. He said, how is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? And when he's saying that, they're now grasping. He's talking about what they teach, what they say, what they believe, what they're telling people. And uh, it's so often, as I said, well, it's so easy to forget what Jesus is doing. They, forget, they, they thought, we don't have bread. He said, I can get bread anytime I want to. Just remember that. He says, beware of the teaching. They, and verse 12 says, they, then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The teaching. The leaven was the teaching of the religious leaders. Listen, when, when you think about it, what did they teach? If you talked to a Pharisee and you said, what do you think about Jesus? They would say, he's from the devil. What do you think about his message? It's wrong. What do you think a person has to do for salvation? A Pharisee would say, you have to keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved. If you said to a Pharisee, can you please God in your strength? And they would say, yes, we can. Uh, what about all the laws? Are we to keep those? Yes, but not only those laws, but all the other laws we made up. That's the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, beware. Listen, I, I say this all the time. I said, when you, there are people in churches all over this country that when they come in, they have a person who speaks, but he doesn't use the Bible at all. And he's a great speaker. And people go, wasn't that wonderful? He never opens the Bible. And then you have people that in churches, they actually talk about the Bible, they don't teach it. They talk about it. They read a verse, as somebody said, just like the national anthem, they read it at the start of the service, and then you don't ever go back to it again. And that's what people do a lot. They, they read a couple of verses, and then they talk about some subject, and everybody goes, well, that was wonderful. The truth is, you're supposed to teach the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage, put it together so people can know it and understand it. And see, the problem with the Pharisees, they had all their rules and everything. Listen, there's false teaching out there. You want me to give you some? That you're saved by works. Now, it's more subtle than that. Here's how subtle it is. You, you're saved by faith in Christ, but if you don't do good works, you're not really saved. See, that's good works it's for salvation. Or that you can believe in Jesus Christ and be saved, but if you don't live right or do some wrong things, you can lose it. That's a false teaching too. Or that the Bible is a good book, but it has some errors in it. That's false teaching. They're everywhere. I talk, I talk to people all the time, and I guarantee you there are most people in this town that do not say that you're saved by faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. They would say you're saved by faith, however, and they always put a however. You better do this. You better do this. You better make a public profession. You better keep this. And, and if not, you're not saved. Go ask a person if they trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, are they saved forever no matter what? Ask them, see what they say. 
many of them will say, well, yeah, I mean, I mean you're, you're saved, but, but I don't know about no matter what. Because, see, you could, you could turn away from God, you could get sin in your life, and then maybe you're not going to be saved. That's false teaching. When you trust in Jesus Christ, what does he give you? Eternal life. How long does it last? Forever. Okay? So there's false teaching out there, especially dealing with the salvation message. J.C. Ryle was a Bible teacher of, you know, in the 1800s, and here's what he said. Some people want to add to the Bible, and some people want to take away. Truth is, God's Word, you cannot add to the Word, and you cannot subtract from the truth. So this is what we do. Uh, false teaching, beware of the false teaching, because here's what we do. We do what we call expository teaching, which means we go verse by verse, passage by passage. I was really excited. We had a person visit about three or four weeks ago, and they filled out the survey. And one of the things on the survey, it said, what, do you, what are you looking for or what do you like? And they said, we're looking for a church where the Bible is taught passage by passage, verse by verse. I wrote them back and said, that's what we do. That's what we do. Why? Well, because that's the whole counsel of God. If you go through the Gospel of Matthew, we're not just picking out a couple of passages from Matthew. We're going all the way through the book and all the way through Acts and all the way through Romans and all the way through First and Second Thessalonians and all the way through Samuel and all the way through Genesis, whatever. And you cannot, so you get the whole counsel, you get the context, because every Sunday I get up and say, remember where we are, this is the flow of the passage, this is what's going on. I know you're tired of hearing it, but the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus Christ as what? The King. We say it every Sunday. Why? Because I want you to understand, every Sunday, because there are people who come for the first time, and they don't know what the purpose of this book is. There's a reason. And then the third part is you can't skip the hard parts. Let me tell you, there's sometimes I wish we could skip the hard parts. There's some passages in Matthew, we're going to get to them, and I'm going to go, man, maybe everybody will be sick that day, and then we'll just go past it or something, you know, who knows? Because there are some hard parts, so when you do expository teaching, you can't skip the hard parts. You've got to go through them, and you've got to put it together, and you've got to tell best you can what it means, and some things are hard to figure out. We teach the Bible so you can know the Bible, so you can recognize false teaching. That's how you recognize. I had an aunt that worked in a bank. And this is, I don't, this was years ago, so I don't know if they do the same thing now. And I said, do you have to look for counterfeit stuff? She said, oh, yeah. I said, how'd, you, how'd they do it? I said, she said, we got in a room, and my first week there, I went back in the room, and I just count money. I counted money for about a week, all different denominations, so I could recognize real money. And so the first time I saw something counterfeit, I knew it immediately. That's why we study the Bible, so you can know it. So the moment something's contrary to this, you'll know it immediately. Well, watch what happens. So they, they, they finally get there. Then, verse 13. When, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now, by the way, when you read the Bible and it says they went to Caesarea Philippi, do you go look at a map and see where that is? Most of the time we go, I don't know it. I don't really care. But, but, but you should. I mean, we should. And let's think about it for a second. Uh, this is the turning point. And let me show you. They... They were here, and they went to here, and now they're going somewhere up in there. And I've got a different map that just gives you kind of a different view of it. But they started over at Magadon, went over to Bethsaida, and they go to Caesarea Philippi. It's named after Caesar, and it's named after Philip, who is the son of Herod the Great. That's why it's called Caesarea Philippi. It's mostly Gentile people. 
And so look what happens, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, watch what he asked them. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now, we could go real fast, but you've got to understand something. He's not just saying, who do they think I am? Notice how he phrases it. Who do they say that the Son of Man is? The title Son of Man comes from the book of Daniel, and that's the title of the Messiah. So Jesus is calling himself Messiah. He says, who do they say, the Son of Man, the Messiah, who do they say that I am? Who, who do they say? And he, that's, a really, that's a strong question. Who do the people say that I am? And so they say something like, well, some people think you're John the Baptist who came back from the dead, and some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you're Jeremiah, and some people think you're one of the prophets. And then he asked, look what he says. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And the way it's written in the Greek, the you is plural. So he's not asking Peter. He's asking all of them. And the way it's in the Greek, it's an emphasis. He says, who do you say that I am. And Peter, of course, is always going to talk first because he always does. He's a leader and he says what he thinks and sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. This time he's right. Verse 16, Peter answered, you are the Christ. That's Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who he said. You're the Christ, the anointed one of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the Son of Man. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the Messiah and the Savior. Now, we're going to stop there because we're going to take up next week because when we're going to go back and review that part, and then Jesus is going to say something to Peter, which is one of those hard passages. We're going to get it next week, and I'll show you how it fits together. So great stuff, and let's see what, let me give you some applications. First of all, we've got to get it in the Scripture for ourselves. You have to. You have to. You have to know the Bible so that you can know what's false teaching, because there are false teachers out there, and there's false teaching out there. You have to study the Bible yourself. Listen, we got a 412 class that Brian teaches. You need to take it. we got a class I'm teaching now. we also got another class that I teach. I'll teach it next year, which is the 2-2. you got to take those classes. You've got to take the classes at SBI so you can get grounded and know the Word. you got to come consistently on Sunday morning, or at least watch it on the, the video thing, or go on the website, because you've got to see how the Bible fits together. So when somebody raises questions, you say, oh, I know how that fits. You've got to do it because there's false teaching out there. The Word of God is the authority. You have to know it so you can live it out and, and understand it. Don't forget God's past actions. They had forgotten. They forgot about the bread. They forgot about everything. It's so easy for us to go through our lives and we forget what he's done for us in the past and we're all worried about the future. And we just say, wait a minute, has he ever let us down? I mean, has, has, has God ever let you down? No, he hadn't. I mean, it may not go the way you wanted it to go. You may say, oh, I didn't really like it, but he didn't let me down. Because he never lets you down because he's always with you. And so we never forget the past actions. And then last but not least, let's trust, trust in Christ as Savior. Listen, there may be some of you in this room today, and I look out, I know almost everybody here, but Jesus said, who do they say that I am? And some say, wait, you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah, or Elijah, or whoever you could be. But who is Jesus Christ? And we started this by saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again and gives eternal life to all who believe in him. And if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior right where you're sitting right now, you can trust in him to give you eternal life. You can believe that he is the Son of God, that he died and rose again for you, paying for your sins, conquering death, and you can trust in him to give you eternal life. And you just say, Lord, I'm trusting that you will give me 
eternal life. That's salvation. It's that simple. God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus who died and rose again, that whosoever, that's anyone, would believe in him, it's not works but faith, would never perish, never be separated, but have what? Eternal life. Eternal life is a gift by faith. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior.